1: Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications.
2: Welcome to Special Edition, I'm Paula Dagnan. On today's program, we're going to find out about Lackawanna County 4-H, and it's not... What you may think anymore. Also, if you like to be in the outdoors during the spring and summer and start to itch, we'll tell you what you can do about all of those poison ivy, oak, and sumac you might run into. Coming up in June, there is a major event coming to Mohegan Sun Arena in Wilkes-Barre Township. We have two area dentists involved, and they'll tell us about that. But first, we introduce you to Rona Anderson. She is assistant to Dean for the College of Liberal Arts at Bloomsburg University. She is in charge of the Anchor Program, and it has nothing to do with water. Rona, what does it have to do with
3: The ANCHOR program is a one-week residential program for youth with experience in foster care and we bring them to Bloomsburg University's campus and we have a program full of different activities and workshops to help introduce them to what college looks like and feels like and smells like and lives like in the classroom, outside the classroom, um, and just kind of give them a week away experiencing college life, um, getting a taste for what they might like to study, um, introducing them to others with similar shared experiences. And really the only thing that our participants have in common is that they all are touched in some way by the foster care system.
2: Why did Bloomsburg come up with this idea, or did it come up in Bloomsburg?
3: So there are variations of of programs across the United States um, that are geared towards youth in foster care. There are a number of universities that have programs for college students. Um, But we were just kind of talking on campus, and my boss is Dean Jim Brown. He's the the, the dean for the College of Liberal Arts. And he had had a conversation with our provost about what Bloomsburg University could do for this population um, and improve their chances of uh, pursuing and completing college. And we started tossing around some ideas and basically one day said, we should do this. And so we did. So we kind of built the plane as we were flying it.
2: All right. Well, you brought along handsome young Ryan. Step right up here, Ryan. Hello. And, hi. <laughs> How did you get involved? How did you find out about all this?
4: Actually, I was in an um, intro to sociology class when I was a freshman, and we were talking about the Anchor Program as an idea. And my professor said, if you want to be a part of this, let me know, and I was really interested. And this is before the program even existed. It was more like doing the research. But I didn't really do too much of the research. I did more as a crew leader than the research. Um and then one day I got an email from Rona. It was an application. And I did it and I got it. And so I've been involved for three years. Three years now.
2: So what's a crew leader?
4: It's kind of like a um, comparison to a camp counselor, I would say. Or an RA or, or, an RA or a CA at Bloomsburg University, which I was a CA, community assistant. So um, we just kind of... Have to make sure that everything's going smoothly, and we do what Rona tells us to do, and make sure <laughs> nothing bad's happening. Pretty much, she,
2: she seems like she would be a tough taskmaster. Oh yes,
4: <laughs> yes.
2: So you're actually dealing with the students who are coming in,
4: mm-hmm. the participants
2: that are that are taking part. Now, what is your major? Social work. So this kind of fits right in. Yeah, with what you're
4: doing, mm-hmm.
2: so that gives you a little bit of practical experience.
4: Yes, and actually, the anchor program has inspired me because, and another crew leader, um, her name is Shannon. We actually talked about, like, seriously talked about opening up a home in Philadelphia once we graduate. So, for for oh for for um foster youth. Oh, to it'll I think it would align with the anchor program. Yeah, but we. Because of the Anchor Program and our experiences with the Anchor Program, that's what we would like to do.
2: Okay. Rona, you have the a look on your face now that it,
3: Ryan is telling you something that you're hearing for the first time. What do you think about that? I can't think of two better folks than Ryan and Shannon. Both of them have been with the Anchor Program from the very beginning, and their dedication is really inspirational. Um, because the, our students at Bloomsburg University are taking time out of their summer vacation, um, to work with disadvantaged youth and really um, to help set them up for a more successful experience in college if they choose to do that. Um, and Shannon is also a senior. She's getting ready to graduate, like Ryan. And her focus at Bloomsburg has been criminal justice and psychology. So she's looking at potentially similar populations, but from a different perspective. And her goal is kind of to to render herself obsolete professionally. She would like for this population never to end up in the criminal justice system. Um, But she's very caring like Ryan, and they both get to know our participants really well, talk to them about what their goals are, what they like to do, and just help make sure that throughout the week we make the experience um, fresh for everybody and relevant to what they want to get out of their summer vacation and to help answer questions and mentor them um, towards college.
2: Give us a little bit of the participants themselves. What age group are we talking? um, How you go about getting the word out? So that they can get involved—is it through schools? Is it through organizations? How does all that work?
3: In a word, it really is grassroots. Um, our participants are, in general, eight or fifteen to eighteen-year-olds. So we're looking at high school students um, who have an interest in kind of experiencing what college life is like. So we have teamed up with um, several counties across the Commonwealth to work with their children and youth advocates and some third-party. Um, agencies as well to get the word out to youth in their care. Um, When we can we communicate with schools but also through word of mouth. Tom McGuire has been an excellent advocate for the Anchor Program um, connecting us with media outlets um, to get the word out on television and radio and in print so that we can um, spread the word about the Anchor Program and um, improve the pool of applications that we get. Because we really want to include as many kids as we can.
2: Do the students that uh, you're looking for, do they have to have any type of grades? Do they have to have uh, references? Uh, Or is it just someone who is working with them and may know them that says, I think they would benefit?
3: Um, For the most part, our goal is just to create an experience for these youth. We don't have a GPA requirement. There's not an expectation that they be involved in school. In fact, many of our participants may have a couple high schools under their belt. Because of the nature of the foster care system, they may be moving around quite a bit. So somebody who was with us for the first year of the program that came from, say, Schuylkill County, we absolutely want to see them the next summer, even if they're living in, say, Lycoming County. And so with the relationships we've built with our children and youth advocates, we um, and our foster family network, we are able to keep in touch with the families and the kiddos um, to hopefully bring them back each summer um, so that maybe after ninth grade they start coming to us and after their senior year of high school they come one last time before starting college at Bloomsburg University.
2: And that would be awesome like Ryan did. Now Ryan, you as a crew leader are involved with the kids when they come for this week on campus. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with them?
4: (laughs) Everything. We have a a jam-packed schedule. Um, The crew leaders come in for training, and we get this whole packet of what we're doing for the week, and it's structured down to the second. Um,
2: (laughs) Probably a good thing. (laughs) It's a
4: great thing. It keeps keeps us all busy, and when we're all together, that's when we're bonding more. So – It's great. We just do activities together, even um, participating in the, well, the lectures Mm. that we go to. It's just, it's fun. We hang out. So
2: I guess what I'm thinking is there are 15 to 18 year olds Mm. and they're hearing, oh, oh, lecture, oh, boring. Uh." They don't hear
4: that from us. Not from you. Not from the crew leaders.
2: And so what do you do with them as far as activities are concerned on campus? Because, again, that's a tough age group, 15 right. to 18, and they're not that far from your age.
4: Yes. Um, we, we do a lot of activities. Well, we try to do a lot of activities outside. Last year it rained like the whole week. Oh. So we were pretty – we were stuck inside. Um, but we play games, um, run around. Just being together and hanging out and having conversations is what happens mostly.
2: When you have these conversations, what have you learned over the years that you've been doing this now? Just kind of a, a little bit of an overview. Do you find that they're receptive to what you're doing by the end of the week? They're
4: oh yes, they're very receptive towards the end of the week. We have a um, what do we have at the very end? The it's closing a, ceremony? the closing ceremony, and that's when they they get the um. The opportunity to speak at it and they have like all their artwork that they've done throughout the week hanging up and it's really nice and most of them cry because they don't want to leave <laughs> I think they come in thinking that we're just here for the paycheck and that's a conversation I had with one of the participants the first year he he was really adamant on well you guys are just here for the money you don't care about us Ooh. and I think that was just like a defense mechanism because so many pe- he's lost so many people in his life and I said listen like the paycheck's not something we would be here for it's not like big at all it's <laughs> not enticing though no. it's not it's not <laughs> enticing but what is enticing is the experience from the anchor program and eventually he caught he caught on to that and he was like oh you actually you all care I said yes that's why we're here we all care um,
2: have you had contact with any of these have you have you seen some of them come back on campus
4: Yes. There was one he came back the year after. Um, it was after the first program. He came back as a student. And I, I just saw him last week. Did you? I saw him last week. Yeah. I always get so excited. I have like this happy, not, I don't know what it feels like to be a parent, but I'm assuming it's a happy like parent, just proud. Um, you're yeah. here. You're I'm doing here. great. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> he's thriving. Incredible.
2: So you're a senior. I am. And now you're going to graduate. What are you going to do this summer when the program begins? Are you coming back?
4: I'm. I think so. I applied.
2: Ah. But uh, I don't know. I'll I'll see if I can. That's a
4: question for Rona.
2: (laughs) I'll see if I can put in a good word for you.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure.
2: Rona, let's talk about the application process. Uh, How do you now? I know that you do have an application available on the Bloomsburg.edu website. That's coming.
3: We will. Yep, we are in the process of updating the application. We're putting the final touches on our program so that we can put the workshops on the application. Our applicants have the opportunity to choose or rather rank one, two, and three which workshop series they prefer to do. And then, yes, we have the application available electronically. Our website is www.bloomu.edu backslash anchor there will be a button activated there for the application. We also send the application as a PDF to our children and youth advocates and um, previous participants. And so you can submit it either as a paper copy, email it to us, or submit it through the website.
2: And did I also read that you got quite a monetary gift?
3: Yeah, that is that is <laughs>
2: that is able to help with all of this.
3: Yeah, the purpose of that endowment is twofold, and we are eternally grateful to the family who created that opportunity through their estate. Um, first and foremost, the the money will be used each year to supplement the anchor program and to help us create longevity for this opportunity for high school students coming to campus for the one week residential experience. Um, But the more money that we can build in fundraising for the Anchor Program, the more we'll be able to use that financial gift to create scholarships for our BU students with experience in foster care, um, to create some more financial support in addition to um, the emotional and the student life supports we have available on campus.
2: Wow, that's really getting involved. And maybe you can throw Ryan a couple of bucks to get him (laughs) started in Philadelphia after he graduates. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Our goal is really to complete the circle, you know, to have our youth with experience in foster care come to the Anchor Program during the summer. And as they join the BU family, um, to have an opportunity to join us in our planning efforts for the Anchor Program and get involved as a college student. That way we are sure to create a program that is relevant and something that this population really wants to take part in and gives them a place in the BU family when they're on campus so that they feel like they have something to give back and a way to kind of process the events from their childhood um, and give them meaning and purpose um, and direction and to make sure that they feel supported throughout their college experience as they prepare for adult life. You said that this
2: is around the country. Is Bloom the only campus around here that has,
3: that uh, so of? far, yes. Yeah. The Field Center at the University of Pennsylvania is um, working to build a network across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So there are a number of institutions in Pennsylvania starting college level programs. Um, Kutztown is one of our sister schools, and East Stroudsburg also is creating a program. So for the Pashi system, there are um, they're the beginning steps to create something like the anchor program. Um, at the college level uh, across our state system. And that's another thing that we really want to see happen. This is not a program that should be happening in in isolation. We would love to see this kind of proliferate across Pennsylvania and especially the Pashi system so that more students and more participants have an opportunity um, to get a leg
2: up. So on the website, all the information.
3: For the Anchor Program, yep.
2: And what is that again?
3: Uh, www.bloomu.edu Backslash anchor.
2: And Ryan, I would like you to just rattle off your resume now, just in case any. No, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm kidding. It'll take a while. <laughs> yeah, it probably would. <laughs> Good luck. Congra- congratulations on Thank your you. graduation. And you. we'll have to have you back again. Thanks again to Rona and Ryan for joining us and telling us about the Anchor Program. You can find out more by visiting the Bloomsburg University website. Now don't go away. When we come back, two area dentists involved in a huge event that will be at Mohegan Sun Arena in June. Stay tuned. More special edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. If you've been putting off dental work, no matter what the reason, including if you don't have insurance or even if you do, you can visit Mohegan Sun Arena in June. Dr. Richard Grossman, Dr. Chris Koczek are here to tell us about it. It's unbelievable to think that coming up in June, you're going to have estimates of 2,000 people Coming to Mohegan Sun Arena in Wilkesboro Township for dental services. Dr. Grossman, how, is this, how did all this come about?
0: A number of years ago, a dentist from uh, down south uh, made a presentation in the American Dental Association and uh, with a clinic that he performed down there to offer free dental services to the public. And the American Dental Association, the Pennsylvania Dental Association, thought it was such a good idea. We formed our own group of mom and PA, Mission of Mercy, in Pennsylvania. And we started uh, performing these clinics, holding these clinics uh, throughout the state. It's been in Philadelphia, Harrisburg, Allentown, Pittsburgh, Erie, and Reading. And a number of the local dentists from our area thought it would be good to offer this clinic to our community here in northeastern Pennsylvania. So that's where it will be held in Wilkes-Barre Township at the Mohegan Sun Arena, June 7th and 8th.
2: Dr. Kotzec, um, when we're talking about something such as this, w- normally when you think of a clinic, you think of going in and maybe there's children there and they're getting their teeth cleaned or something like that. But this is going to be so much more than just teeth cleaning.
1: Yes, this is going to provide really comprehensive care for the emergent uh, problems that these patients will be having. We're trying to get them out of pain uh, and really get them on the road to better dental health. So when they do come, not only will they have dental treatment, they will also have a medical exam to make sure that they're healthy enough for treatment that day. Uh, but most importantly, once they receive all of their treatment, and this treatment includes everything from a dental cleaning to dental restorations to root canal therapy to dental extractions, Um, But once they leave, uh, the most important thing really is that we try to get them established in what we call a dental home so that they can go on from this event and continue on uh, with comprehensive dental treatment uh, in the future.
2: This, it just sounds like such a major, when anybody, any of our listeners go to the dentist, we know we go in, we get x-rays once in a while, we have a checkup, and then we might have to get fillings, and so... How I just can't fathom how you're going to be able to do all this with 2,000 people and it's a first-come, first-served basis.
0: I guess it's my turn now. I'm jumping back in. It's Dr. Grossman again. (laughs) Uh, We're going to have dentists from all over the state, possibly from out of the state. They'll be all specialists, even uh, uh, Dr. Kochek, who's an oral maxillofacial surgeon, will have a lot of oral surgeons. We'll have endodontists, specialists who perform root canals, uh, we'll have a lot of general dentists who will be uh, doing fillings or what we would call restorations. We'll have hygienists who can clean teeth. We'll be taking x-rays. Uh, this, we'll have about 130 dental chairs set up. People will move from one station to the next. The one thing I do want to stress is if you're going to come, uh, please bring a list of the medications that you're on so that you can receive the treatment that, you're, uh, uh, that, that you require.
2: And if you, if you are coming, you could end up having an extraction. So what happens? You know, normally, again, w- w- you go get an extraction. You have to go and get blood work. You have to get tests. You have to – Dr. Yeah. kachik what happens well, you don't, there?
1: You don't necessarily need to have blood tests uh, or any of that, depending on your medical history, of course. But that's where uh, the medical triage comes into play. Unfortunately, there may be some patients that may have uh, medical issues that may not allow us to pay uh, whether their blood sugar is too high, whether they're on a blood thinner where their uh, values might be too high for us to treat. Not that we won't treat somebody who is on a blood thinner. We will. Uh, but there are certain blood thinners that we require blood tests, which we will provide there. But there are certain criteria in which um, it has to meet in order for us to treat them safely. But, you know, the other thing we also have to think about is, well, some of these patients, what happens when they have a problem maybe after that day? We do have that safety net set up where we do have a number of volunteers um, that will be uh, contacted uh, through kind of a, a liaison that we have set up that has a phone that has the number um, that is on the post-operative uh, care sheet once they leave. So any issues, they call that number, and then that person then directs them to who they need to see um, if there is any issues post-operatively.
2: I just think that this is amazing. I applaud you for bringing something like this and making it possible. Dr. Grossman, it's free.
0: It, it's free. <laughs> no questions asked. Uh, no, uh, it, it is not income-based Uh, As Dr. Kochik said, it's first-come, 1st serve. You'll have to wait in line uh, to go through a registration process where we will take your medical history, and you'll remove – then a dentist will check check your uh, mouth out to see what really is required. And from there on, you move from uh, one area to the next to receive treatment. Uh, I've I've done this in the past four years, Dr. Kochek has done this in the past and uh, it's really amazing uh, uh, the, the work that is really accomplished and I encourage anyone out there who really is in dire need of seeking dental treatment, please come. Uh, we really do not want to discourage anyone uh, from coming. Uh, even if you feel language is a problem, we're going to go out of our way to try to have translators there. So uh, please uh, try to take advantage of this.
2: And while we're talking about that, it's not just the Chris and Richard show. (laughs) You are going to have to have a, wow, how many
1: volunteers? Well, well, we we aim to uh, get about 1,000 volunteers. So we will have uh, dentists, we'll have dental staff, we'll have nurses Doctors, physicians assistants, nurse practitioners, EMTs, pharmacists, lab uh, lab staff. But really, most importantly, is we need a lot of lay uh, lay people to, to volunteer because just having 2,000 patients or 1,000 patients a day, just maneuvering this number of people through the clinic and helping uh, – and get them from place to place, and making sure that everything moves efficiently. And uh, translators—this is something that we're really in dire need of, especially those who are bilingual in Spanish uh, and English, because um, we are going to have—we are—we are estimating um, that we will have a number of these patients who will require some assistance with translation. So, so we're really looking for that. But, but anybody who is interested, uh, they can go to the website www.mom-n. Uh, PA.com and register, and you follow the prompts, and they'll show you where we really need the volunteers because there are several um, sections on the uh, registration page uh, where we'll let you know where we need the most help, and Translators right now is one of the places.
2: And you mentioned the fact that it's not you don't have to be a medical professional to volunteer.
0: No. Not at all. In fact, uh, as I was uh, mentioning uh, previously in a different interview, uh my mother who lives in florida who will be 92 tomorrow heard about it and she made plans to fly up here she said she could sit in a chair and register people so we need pe- uh people out there to come and help no one once they register is left alone we need uh, uh someone just to even walk them from one area to the next uh so that we we need people to uh, we have to feed some of the volunteers we need people even just to help serve food to the volunteers so this is really a very complicated uh, process, and we need your help. So we're asking you to go on the website and volunteer.
2: That is absolutely amazing. I can't even I can't even fathom that many people being at the arena, going through this process. And as as you said, you're you're talking about nothing's. I mean, anything that can happen in teeth you're going to be equipped to do. That's amazing.
1: Majority of, of things, I Majority. would say. There are a couple <laughs> of things that require um, s- some lab work that needs to be sent away and takes time, such as uh, crowns and bridges, things like that. Um, I did have a question brought to my attention asking if we uh, will be doing crowns, but that uh, that is not uh, a possibility just because of what needs to be done. Repairs, um, they can do... Um, for some patients, uh, depending, uh, they may even be able to get a replacement tooth, some something temporary or something that's removable. Um, we, we may be able to provide that service as well. Uh, but again, really, the, the, the most important thing we find is we want to try to get emergent needs taken care of, get these patients comfortable, out of pain, and again, get them set into a dental home so that um, they can continue to uh, have the dental treatment that they
0: need. And, and, and keep them healthy. There's a lot of people uh, out in our community who don't realize there's certain clinics that are available to them. And so we're going to try to get, uh, we'll, we'll have some of these different clinics at the arena that as you are completing your treatment, hopefully, as Dr. Kochik said, we'll be able to educate you or get you in touch with these clinics so that you can follow up and so that we do not leave people in the lurch.
1: Dr. Kochik Well, the thing that is really amazing is that within one day, we convert an arena into a giant dental clinic. And just to see that happen
0: before your eyes is amazing. The doors open, I think, around 6 a.m. for people to start uh, registering. And there will be free parking at the arena. And we're hoping that people, if they need uh, public transportation, that we'll be able to somehow get that provided also and
2: that website one more time and you also have a facebook page too
0: we have a facebook page uh, for
1: mom n pa we have the website www.mom-n-pa.com um, we also are on instagram
2: more special edition to come Welcome back to Special Edition. And now it's time to find out about how we can stay safe when we're outdoors this coming spring and summer season. Dawn Webster is a physician's assistant and assistant medical director with MedExpress in Pittsburgh. She tells us about what to do if we encounter some of those itchy leaves in the woods and what we need in our first aid kit. We're going to talk today about those itchy things that we run into in the woods. Poison ivy, poison oak. Ugh, I love the outdoors but hate those. How do we avoid them?
5: If you can recognize them to avoid them, that's obviously the key to prevention, But a lot of times, unfortunately, they're kind of mixed with other things and they're not easily distinguishable. But one of the rules is leaves of three, leave of leaves, it could be one of the poison. Poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac. You're going to want to leave it alone. That's the biggest one people can remember. If you can't remember that, the other thing you can kind of think of is typically they are a vine. They like to grow on things. If they're growing up a tree or up a building, kind of stay away from it just in case. Um, other than that, really, it's just, if you are in the woods and you're, you know, cutting things down, pulling weeds, just when you're done, go in, take a nice hot shower and try to get rid of any oils that you may have accidentally encountered.
2: Is that what causes the itch, the oil that's on the plant?
5: Yes. So there's an oil on the plant, um, and what happens is that oil, um, Wherever you you contacted it most. So if you touched it with your hands and it's you know a lot on your hands, and then you you know scratch your face or scratch your arm, and then you go in the house and you wash your hands, you won't get it on your hands. But you know a couple of days later, you're going to see the rash on your you know wherever you touched. So your face, your arms. So unfortunately, you know it can be tricky because people say, oh well, it's not on my hands. Well, that's really the only thing people definitely wash after they've been outside. It's their hands. So, yes, it, it is the oil. And the other problem is the oil can live in gloves or on coats for seasons. So someone could go outside in the middle of the winter, throw on a pair of gloves that they wore in the summer, and get poison ivy. What?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh no! Now that's that's something that I never knew. So, yes. how do you get rid of it then? If you're, um, you know, if you are outdoors and you do have on your your gloves, and then you have, do you have to wash everything yes. as well?
5: Yes, every every bit of clothing that you're wearing, your gloves, your hat, your coat that could have come in contact with it, you're going to want to wash in hot water.
2: Oh, just hot water. Do you don't need bleach or anything like that? No,
5: no, you don't need bleach. Just normal um, clothes wash in hot water.
2: All right, so now, unfortunately, and I I didn't realize the transmission, I thought it had to be direct contact, but apparently not. You get it on your fingers, you put it on, you scratch your face, and all of a sudden... Now, how do you know that that's what is causing the rash? Because, again, people can be allergic to so many different things with all of these types of... Are there certain rashes as opposed to other rashes?
5: Well, um, in regards to, you know, the clinician being able to look at it and say, oh, that's poison ivy or that that's definitely poison sumac." there may be some dermatologists that can tell the difference, but most of us can't. Most of us just look at the rash and we know it's poison something. Um, and the good news is it's all treated the same. Now, um, the other thing is when someone has a rash, from, you know, changing their detergent because they have sensitive skin or, um, you know, eating something that they're allergic to. The rashes typically look pretty different. With any of the poison um, plants, typically the rash starts out just red and itchy, but then becomes little blisters. And those weeping blisters are what people used to think spread the rash. They used to think when those blisters were weeping or would break open that that's how the rash was spreading, but that's really not the case. That's just a normal rash blister. has nothing to do with spreading the rash. But, yeah, typically there's only a couple things that can cause a rash that has blisters. It's poison, ivy, oak, and sumac. That's one of them.
2: All right. So this develops, and now we have these blisters. What do we put on them? What should we have at home?
5: So anything over-the-counter is going to help. Any of the anti-itch products, um, the calamines. Um, the Aveno oatmeal baths, I mean, any of the topical um, over the counter antihistamines like Claritin or Zyrtec. those are all going to help with the itch. Now, the rash itself is what we call self limiting. So it means eventually in a couple weeks it's going to go away on its own. The problem is there are some people that are way more allergic and reactive to it than others. And those people are just very miserable. They're the ones that like to come in to the expresses or see their doctors and, you know, get. Steroid creams, or get put on um, oral steroids. Sometimes even steroid shots, just to help with the symptoms. But as far as what you can have at home, really anything over the counter that's going to help with the itch is fine. Um, it's not going to hurt it, but it's a, essentially you just kind of have to wait till it goes away on its own.
0: Now you
2: mentioned the weepingness of it. Is that still contagious to someone else if they happen to brush up against you?
5: No, no. And a lot of people think it is, but that's not the case. So the only way you can spread poison ivy from person to person is if you still have those original oils on your skin. So if, you know, dad's out in the woods, you know, weed whacking, and then he comes and, and touches, you know, his son, helps him put his coat on, he could actually give it to him then. He couldn't give it to him, you know, a week later after he's had multiple showers and he, you know, his rashes is... is you know, weeping or draining.
2: All right. Well, speaking of that, when summertime comes around, these things happen. And, of course, we never plan for them, but in the summer, they always seem to happen more often. What should we have on hand in case of any type of a first aid kit emergency at home?
5: Sure. Well, there's lots of recommendations. Um, One of the biggest ones, obviously, is bandages. So you're going to want to have, you know, band-aids, um, compression dressing. So if someone has something that's bleeding and it won't stop, you're going to want to hold pressure on it. So you're going to want to have something that you can do that with. And then you also want to have some type of antiseptic in there to, to clean it out. So it can be peroxide, it can be saline, um, any over-the-counter, you know, wound is fine, um, which is especially helpful if you're not around a sink. You can't just wash it with soap and water. The other thing that's good to have in there are, um, you know, they sell um, the little... Um, um, ointments and sprays that you can put on bug bites, um, which is you know especially helpful, especially kids. You know the bug bites are so traumatizing to them um, because they do they really hurt. Um, so any type of after bite spray or ointment would be good. Um, and then I also always tell people if you can, there are some antihistamines in there, um, some you know Claritin or Zyrtec or even Benadryl, um, in addition to Tylenol and Motrin. You know that way you have it on hand.
2: So if you do come in contact with something or you do have a problem, I guess you kind of, you have to use your common sense rather than to say, well, go get the first aid kit as opposed to maybe we need to go see Dawn at Met Express. <laughs>
5: yes. Yes. If there's ever anything that, you know, you're just not comfortable with, certainly come in or, you know, um, Another thing that would be great to keep in the first aid kit would be a splint, uh, would be uh, tweezers for a splinter or a tick or, you know, something like that, you know, because that happens, unfortunately, a lot in the summer, too.
2: Thanks, Dawn, for joining us. Now we welcome Sandy Graham. She is with Lackawanna County Penn State Cooperative and tells us about 4-H programs, which will still continue into the summer. And we're also getting ready for the inaugural Lackawanna County Heritage Fair that's coming at the end of May. There will be many involved in that as well.
6: 4-H and the extension is really a USDA program and it's run through the land-grant universities in each state, ours being Penn State. So, Penn State then gets an extension in each county. So, I'm in Lackawanna County. I do the 4-H and I coordinate that part. We also have other extension educators In our counties. So we do different things. You might have heard of Master Gardening Program. We have 4-H. We have Prosper Programming. We have Growing Stronger. Um, We have other kinds of agricultural-based programs depending on the counties. Some are regional. Some are just countywide. But it's all run through Penn State Extension. So 4-H, what is that? 4-H is the youth organization that is run through the Ag Center and the Extension. It's for kids who are between the ages of 5 and 18. Our 5 to 7-year-olds are called clover buds. And our 8 to 18-year-olds are 4-H members that work on different projects. Many are agricultural-based. Traditionally, that's how it was. But as we evolve, we have a lot of STEM projects. We have a lot of creative art projects. We still have the agricultural projects, which might be preparing some of the members for learning to be a veterinarian. So they have some projects like that. But it might also be just animal care, whether it be a pet, a dog, a cat, or horses, Alpaca, whatever they're interested in.
2: Well, I think when people hear 4-H, they normally think of, as you said, students agricultural mm-hmm. getting involved in things like the
6: Pennsylvania Farm Show. In Lackawanna County, we have two sewing clubs that are just for sewing, and then I, we also have a more of a community club, a creative arts club, and the kids are enjoying the basics. They're they're a little bit younger and they're very beginner sewers. But they're starting to pin some patterns and learn. So they're interested. The kids are interested because of different shows that are on TV. It got them reinterested and reinvigorated the whole sewing part of it. Now, when, they, when
2: you talk about sewing, are you talking about hand stitching, machine stitching?
6: Yes. Both? Yes. And we have some quilters, some... Um, Things like projects like button art that we're actually sewing. Sometimes you can, but sometimes we sew it. Um, they're doing things like community service. Last year, our club did a community service. We, we made pillowcases, and we donated those to children and youth for the foster kids. Now, how do students get involved
2: in things like this?
6: Things like Pinterest, Project Runway. The Internet has a lot of different things for the kids who are creative, and they find that kind of stuff. Then sometimes they find us through the 4-H groups for looking online for what they can do locally. Do you go into the schools? We go into the schools. We have school enrichment programs. So we have teachers who might ask us to come in, um, and we could do a program, or the teacher can do the program in their classroom too because we have the materials for them to be independent on it. Some of those programs are more of the STEM variety. Um, for example, I have a rain-to-drain program, which is about how rainwater flows. Oh. And that is going into two schools in the county during the school year. So that's an example of, of a school enrichment.
2: It almost sounds, again, it's bringing back memories of when we had Home Act
6: in which HOMEC is now called Family and Consumer Sciences. Oh, sorry, I didn't know that. (laughs) It's okay, not many people know that. HOMEC, or Family and Consumer Sciences, is required by the state to have some standards in the middle school and the high school. So each school should have some variety, but schools attack that in a different way, so to speak. What our clubs do is mostly it's after school, Or we have students, members who just want to form a club. So they can join an existing club or they can form their own club. And as far as instruction, maybe there is someone who is a home sewer. And if they do so at home, they think maybe I can't teach it. But you you do know more than an eight-year-old knows. Mm -hmm. They might be a leader. And then we can foster that. And what we do as leaders for the leaders through Penn State extension is we have leader forms and we have trainings that any leader can access for all the different areas of projects that we have
2: so if someone is listening and in particular in your area which is Lackawanna County mm-hmm. so if someone will take quilting as an example thinks this is something that I would like to pass on
6: can they contact you
2: Absolutely and and what would you do then
6: Well I would get them through some of the leader and volunteer training. So that's first because we do have a high priority for safety for all the kids. So they do have to be a screened leader. Um, I would get them first with that. And then we could do something like advertise. We use Facebook. We use Instagram. We use press releases. Sometimes I get phone calls of kids who are, hey, I want to learn how to sew. And we would get a club to form. And the leaders can really pick the days, the times, the length of the club. They can meet all year round for once a month. They could meet weekly for three months. Totally up to the leader because we want them to be comfortable with their time.
2: What about as far as monetary is concerned? Because again, a lot of these different projects that you're talking about, you're going to have to consider materials.
6: Correct. Well, to be a member in 4-H, it's $20. But we also have an opportunity fund, too, so that if there's a family that can't afford it, we have some monies that they can apply for. For materials, depending on what they're making, for the very beginner, we do have some materials. If someone's going to make a prom gown, then they will buy their own materials. So depending on the garments and the, the extent of it. But we try to, to get donations for some of our um, smaller projects. And things like when we did the pillowcases. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of people donate fabric, which was great. Yeah,
2: it would give give everybody a a little bit of something.
6: Absolutely. And as you're
2: talking about this, one of the things that I immediately go to is local theater because there's always costumes being made and have to be altered. And uh, do you have any interest in in anything coming out of that?
6: Oh, well, again, three of my... Um, three of, some of our members who are in the sewing program have worked with their schools to make the, prod, the costumes for their school plays. Wow. So they go out and they can do that because they have the experience. So they've done, it's nice for them to do little outreach, and then they're helping their own schools. They're pretty good. When they put their mind to what they want to learn, they can master the subject, yes. When, now we've
2: talked about sewing. What about some of the other aspects of the of the other clubs that you
3: have?
6: Well, right now in Lackawanna County, we don't have a lot of clubs. We're still building, um, but we have two clubs that are cooking clubs. They do cooking projects. They did a lemon meringue pie. <gasps> they did a raspberry coffee cake, and they did a rigota gnocchi and an apple strudel. We have a horse club, Valley Equestrian Horse Club. They meet weekly They work on skills, but they work on other club leadership things. And then they do a county show and a district horse show, or maybe they go to the state um, horse show. With
2: all of these different clubs and the opportunity to start something that people are interested in, how do they go about getting in touch with you?
6: A couple ways. They can call me and say, hey, what do you have available? Or they can say, I am an expert in, which is always great because we can find something. If you are... We have a photography program. Um, we have engineering, an engineering challenge that we'll be gearing up for the summer. We have a lot of interest in cake decorating, and we'll do a camp for that in the summer. A camp? We'll do a one-day camp oh. where we'll play and cake decorate. Uh, maybe it's coding. So we have a lot of coding programs that we can do. So anybody who has... Any interest will probably have the gamut. I could find you some kids that would be interested in joining. And do they come to
2: you a lot of times and say, Sandy, we really want to do this? And we they do, they can just give me a call or send me an email. And you're on Facebook,
6: and we're on Facebook, Lackawanna County 4 H, Lackawanna County PA 4 H,
2: and Instagram, and, and Instagram, all those. and word of mouth. So for a, a student. There is no, there's a $20 to join 4-H,
6: and then after that, you just have to make the meetings? You make the meetings. So you need to be at half of the meetings to be a member in good standing. And a member in good standing means that when we have our annual achievement night, you get recognized that project area that you have done. But we also have different Clover Awards. When you do something that is a county event, and a county event might be our Lackawanna County Fair that's coming up. You can you kind of move up the ladder of the level of clovers that you can get. So there's state events and it's about showing them that they do have a lot to offer.
2: Young people do have a lot to offer, and so do the programs from the 4-H. If you'd like to find out more, you may want to visit the inaugural Lackawanna County Heritage Fair, which is coming to Montage Mountain May 29th through June 2nd. We will be having some of the organizers of that event joining us here in the very near future on Special Edition, so you can have all of the details. Thanks once again to all of our guests for joining us on Special Edition today. And thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us once again this week.
0: Thanks for listening to Special
1: Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications.
0: TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law it is essential that we conclusively sports the clock at 4 doncic the step back 3 you bet. music you set my world on fire yes, oh. and even podcasts whatever you love hear it right here on tune in go to tunein.com or download the tunein app to start listening